Greetings. My name is Louis Molina, and I'm the host of The Life Perot. Today's conversation, we feature Jeremy Stuckey, who is a Lighthouse Lounge member and pipe aficionado. So with that, Jeremy, thanks for coming in today. Thank you, Lou. Thank you for having me, man. Glad to be on. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And uh, like I mentioned, we I look to you for like pipe information, so I've been wanting to do this this kind of episode for a while now. Well, I got at least some of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So before we get started, we usually give our guests a cigar, but obviously with the pipe tobacco, we wanted to gift you pipe tobacco today. And you want to maybe talk and explain to us maybe some some yeah, of no the information problem. behind this brand? So the pipe... The tobacco that he just handed to me is Dorchester from Esoterica, which is a line made by Germains, which is a company out of the Jersey Isles in England. And they started making these blends so kind of similar for a, a little shop called Smoker's Haven uh, up in the north. But they started with their own line of blends and eventually it became so popular that they made their own versions and they started selling it for the American market under Esoterica Tabacchiana. Okay. Um, it's now, it originally it was one of those ones you could walk in and find it just about anywhere. As long as they had a good contact with Arango, you know, they got their stuff in, but through the hype of online and forums, it's become this race to get it. Yeah. Um, they're, they're great tobaccos. I'm not sure. Like I love them. I have my own stash and I'm grateful to add this one to my pile uh dorchester is one of my favorites it's an easy smoking it has a lovely apricot note to it it's delicious uh but i also find that you know it's one of the things i've noticed with pipe tobacco and you've probably seen it with cigars as well there's a chase with yeah a lot yeah of them. and yes it's good yes i have chased it but now that i'm comfortable with it i don't find the need to stock up on it every yeah. time but i'm happy that i've gotten to the point where i'm at that but for others if you can get your hands on it, go for it. Give it a shot. It's delicious. Have you come across any uh, tobacconists or pipe shops where they don't allocate or divvy out Esoterica? I mean, can you actually find it in, 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 a, in a shelf? Yeah, I mean, I've seen places that I've heard. I know of people that have shops that they can walk in and it just might not be popular in the area. Like, you know, the market right. might not have as many people that know about it. You know, it might be a bit of an older market because this is a relatively newer brand. I think 2000s is when they started. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, there's some places, but there's also a lot of places like y'all, which I do respect about y'all, you know, helping to prevent the flippers and the people because believe it or not, there's a crazy secondary market for this. How much would like uh, some of that go? So on the secondary market depends on the blend okay. and it's absurd. But your big three for Esoterica, you have Penzance, you have Stonehaven, and you have Peacehaven. All three are flakes of some varietal. They're not produced as often because they're flakes. It takes a little bit more in the process. But Penzance specifically has gotten this cult following, and it's absurd how crazy some of this is. But people will buy those bags when they come up, and they might MSRP for $60. I've seen them being flipped online for upwards of 5 500 for an eight ounce bag it's absurd but you know where they're going china oh really yes the majority of the flippers that are paying that prices are chinese buyers they're importing them overseas oh so it's kind of why it's kind of similar to what you're seeing with habanos and the chinese market buying up all those and those prices keep going up and up and up and up the only difference here is their prices aren't keeping going up and up and up because it's for the American market just being flipped overseas. Yeah. So it's a weird 
like race to get them because a lot of people like me, I want them to smoke them. Right. I'm not yeah. going to flip them. And I have a few people that over the years of meeting people online, like and through y'all, like if I buy from y'all, I'm buying the smoke. I'm not, I'm either going to smoke it myself mm-hmm. or I'm going to gift it to a friend. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't like the people that flip. It doesn't make, yeah, it's not, well, it's, it's meant to be smoked. Yeah. I mean, and I get like the flippers. I mean, we, we've talked about this topic regarding bourbon, mm-hmm. certain rare cigars. Uh, it happens with the pipe tobacco, but that's why like, for us, we would rather sell to someone like you that's going to smoke it as, as opposed to us doing the work of, you know, having to buy like other product just to get a little bit of this allocated yep. stuff. But we don't necessarily want to price gouge, but we we will put a premium to deter any of that flipping, too. Yes. So but we've kind of have evolved to the point of, all right, we'll just reward our top buyers or, you know, your Lighthouse Lounge member. That's a, the, our private club here in Baton Rouge. Um, and that's one of the benefits of being a member. You can have access to some of this rare stuff. Yep. So. so, but I smoked some of that, uh, over the weekend, I've never smoked it. And it's really, uh, I mean, it's an English blend, blend right? So no, no, this is actually a Virginia Perique. So really, this, yes. to me, it had kind of a smokier character to it. So you I might, felt. you might be picking up a little bit of that from the Perique. It's not super oh. uncommon, but it's okay. a darker flavor um so maybe more of an earthy kind of pungent uh, yeah. is maybe what i was smoking but no this is virginia tobaccos and louisiana perique a lovely product made in our own st james parish um mm-hmm. but yeah so these blends typically have a bit more of like a fermented fermented f- fermentation yeah, fermented, flavor yeah. okay um like going, a funky kind of yeah with that from the perique and the Virginias in this blend, and I think I've noticed it amongst Esoterica's Virginia-based stuff, there's like a fruit topping that I always equate as apricot. Okay. So I find it interesting that you got a little bit of a smoky flavor. Now, it also could be another aspect of pipe smoking, ghosting. What's that? So if you were to take a heavy, bold-flavored blend, or like an English tobacco that has Latakia, which is a very smoky, bold tobacco, mm-hmm. it can the smell will work its way into the cake of the pipe. And the cake is this layer of carbon that is built up on the inside of the pipe that helps protect the actual briar wood from being burned. But, and it builds up over time, but you can get like flavor. If you're smoking a lot of heavy aromatics or a lot of like English blends, you will notice that some of the smokes kind of have a twinge of that flavor that is just baked into that cake. Hmm. Yeah, that's always a good thing. I guess like beginners or people who don't know about pipe tobacco, when they see that uh, buildup, they mm-hmm. might think, oh, it's really gross or there's something wrong. Like I'm doing something wrong, but it's actually a, a, a benefit. It's an integral yeah. part of it. It's yeah. it's a way of it's a form of it's a step of the maintenance of maintaining your pipes, because this hobby is definitely an older, like well wisened one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been going on since basically the dawn of America since they've been <gasps> pipe tobacco. But, you know, part of it is maintaining your pipes, cleaning them out. You mm-hmm. know, one of the things they sell are reamers to level out yep. that uh, cake in there to get it. Like, you want about the thickness of a dime is what I've always been told. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, exactly what I've been told, and that's what we educate our customers. Yep. You want it, if the cake gets to, like, the thickness of a nickel, then you use that reamer to kind of, yep. like, yep. carve out, I guess, the part chip away, yeah, that, 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 that cake back to, like, the width of a dime. Yep. So... 
But no, cool. But uh, what else you got here? I li well, like your setup here. Oh, thank you. This is a little folding tray. And uh, do mind me, Lou. I will kind of plug in a little shop here. Yeah. I picked this up at a local, quote unquote, pipe mecca in Mississippi called the Country Squire. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And those guys, if you know anything about pipe tobacco, and I can never not say anything good enough about them. Uh, John David Cole is the guy who runs it. He took it over after many years of that place being open. But they blend their own stuff. They have... That's one of the beauties of pipe tobacco is, and y'all have a few uh, blends that y'all tinker with as well. Uh -huh. The ability, like you can blend the tobaccos easier, but this is a little leather tray that they came out with that is collapsible and will clip together and snap together and rolls up into your pipe pouch or, you know, you could throw it in your pocket. And one of the things that I do as I've done here is I have my tobacco laid out to where it dries a little bit because pipe tobacco is inherently packed moisture or more wet than cigars are. Mm -hmm. um, cigars are designed to be cut, like, go. Pipe tobacco, you can do the same, but because of how much moisture is in there, um, you can get an, an effect called tongue bite, if you're not careful. Okay. Where the steam from the water in the blend will work its way down the pipe, and it's not fun. It hurts. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it will throw off your taste and nothing's more fun than taking like a, a sip of Coke or something after you, you've had that happen. You're like, Ooh, yep, yeah. It's like there. almost like prick. Like you get that prickly sensation. Yeah, it's like finding a cut when you're cutting lemons. Oh yeah. That's good. Kind of similar. Mm -hmm. But the blend that I have today that I pulled out since it's a, you know, first time and I figured treat Lou with something good that hasn't been on the market for years is a uh, frog frog Morton cellar, which is made famous by McClellan, which was a, old blending house that is now no longer out of business but they went out of business to hold their integrity which mm -hmm. i have to give them props for but this is a english blend it's actually an english crossover blend so it is their frog morton base english to which they took whiskey staves from a barrel from a local distillery they never disclosed what distillery hmm. everyone's been trying to figure it out to help the remake this blend Oh. But basically, as soon as those barrels were dumped, they were rushed to McClellan, cut in the cubes, and thrown in the tins and sealed up. And that's all the flavoring they add to it. Hmm. So it picked up this kind of whiskey, kind of sweet note that is what made this blend so popular. Okay. So, But I got enough here that should be prepped and ready to go. Lou, if you want to load up a bowl and... Yeah. I so can... basically, um, I brought... One of my pipes. I don't. I don't have too many pipes, but I. I and I, don't, and I know there's like, I guess debate with this. I tend to like smoking pipe tobacco more in the cooler months. I agree. But I've talked to one purist years ago who said like, well, that's nonsense. Like you should like weather shouldn't dictate, you know, when you smoke a pipe. But for me, I guess, and like most people have have said, something about the warmth of the bowl. You're outside. And it's cold. It just. It just kind of helps. Like, like you know. there's, it's just, and also like, there's a mystique. Like we've always, we've seen the Christmas movies of like the old gentleman, the wise person sitting there telling stories with a pipe in hand. Mm -hmm. or, you know, even Santa Claus has been depicted holding a pipe. That's right. Yeah. So like, I'm, I'm the same way. I spring and summer, that's cigar time. Yeah. As soon as that weather starts cooling down, you know, I don't want to be outside for as long. I grab my pipe because typically, not always, pipes are a shorter smoke. That's right. Yeah, even like at max uh, pack, what would you say is average smoke time? I know there's so many variables, like the 
but like average size bowl, At, average kind of moisture content. It depends. Like if I'm smoking a ribbon like we are today, average size bowl, 30 minutes. Yep. No, that's what I figured, Most, like 30, 35 minutes. Yeah, 30, 35 minutes. But if you have some pipes that have, you know, I have some that have big bowls. I have some that have small bowls. That's another big variable. Uh, I've had some cut, like, and there's different cuts as well. Okay. Yeah. Like when you have your flakes or your crumble cakes or your coins. Um, I've had some pipe bowls last two, three hours, believe it or not. But What? Yes. Really? Two? Yeah. To three hours. Oh, well, half the time is because I'm sitting there doing something else. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, they will work its way down. And you know, that's another thing I've learned about pie tobacco is if it goes out, relight it. Yeah. Because it's not it's not the same as cigars. Yeah. So while I'm prepping the pipe, can you maybe give a primer as to how to prep like for, for the beginner? Um, Because, yeah, I guess that's an intimidating thing for, for beginners or... Like, it, oh, it's just so much work. It's so definitely you want to explain? one of the, the things I've seen people get caught up on, especially when reading online. And that's where a lot of my knowledge came from. This is just I got into the hobby and said, let me jump on in. But what Lou was doing is called the three pack, the three pinch method. And you start out, you grab a pinch, you fill up your bowl. So basically full, you take your tamper and you lightly tamp it down till it stops basically giving. You put another pinch. You go down with a little bit more force mm -hmm. and typically a third pinch and if about a bit more force than the second time. You don't want to overpack it. You overpack it, you're not going to be able to draw through it. It's going to be a pain. You're going to be cursing. But if you do it right, and it takes practice, it's not something you're going to learn on the first try. Oh, I messed up over the weekend with the Dorchester. I yeah. think because I, I wasn't used to, I guess, this kind of cut or the moisture content. Mm -hmm. I packed it way too tight. Yeah. So I had to start again. But so I mean it happens. Mm -hmm. And grab my handy dandy trusty little. You got your tamper? I have my tamper. It's okay. in my pocket. No, we got one here. Uh, Which what I what I have is uh just called we call it the pipe nail. Yep. So it's got two components. We have um like the scooper and what this part, the, the most tamper. probably the most yeah, probably the most important part, the tamper, which helps pack this yep. this pipe tobacco. So now I will admit my three pinch method has evolved into like a two pinch over the years. Really? I, I usually do at least three or four. Well, I've, I've gotten the gauge of how much my fingers can hold and mm -hmm. what, like I sometimes I'll overpack or I'll start pinching before I even go in there. Yeah. So while you're doing that, I'll kind of give like our pitch to be beginners and feel free to correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong on any of this. So basically you have your pipe ready. You take a pinch of tobacco at a time, just kind of drop it in until it overflows. And then that's when you take the tamper portion. And like you said, I guess that's like the, the one of the more intimidating parts is how much pressure. Um, but I tell people do it to where, like, I know a lot, a lot of people say that that first pinch do it where it's a little looser uh, than the, than the, the next ones. But I tell people just enough to where you can still get a draw, but it's that happy medium of like, not too, not too tight, but not too loose. I've and then I always do a test draw after each just to verify it's not. And not that's a great way of doing it because at that point you can still edit and alter mm -hmm. how much you pack. Uh, I've always associated with and been told, like, imagine sipping through a straw. Like, you're getting your soda all the way up to the top without actually taking a sip. Like, mm. you want like that's how you that's okay. how you want the, the draw to feel. Like, you don't want to, like, 
it's you don't want it to be too open. You don't want it to be too tight. You want to have a good like like you're breathing through a straw. Yeah, no, that's a good. I like that tip. And then so you might repeat that process two, three, four times. Yep. If it's more, don't worry about it. Um, but I always tell people at the if you want to pack it at the max, you don't want the level of the pipe tobacco flush with this no. rim. That's... You want like a little space below that. Yes, you want to have a little bit of a clearance. That will that just helps protect the life of your pipe. That's right. Yep. Uh, you don't want to burn your rim because I mean it's wood. End of the day, this is wood. Mm-hmm. It will burn. You don't want to mess it up. Yeah. And then uh, now is the lighting. The lighting uh, yes. step. So, so the lighting can also be a little bit finicky, but as I mentioned before, if it goes out, light it again. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. I've seen too many people worry about, oh, it won't stay lit the whole time. Light your pipe. Enjoy your tobacco. Yeah. yeah. So, but there's always a step that's called the charring light, which is, and we'll see how well the camera picks it up, but something you'll notice, the tobacco will kind of raise. That's right. It, yeah. it lifts because of the heat. But as I get into this, like, um, you want to so get yeah, it. if you want to go ahead and I'll kind of yeah. fill in the, the information. So, like Jeremy said, you kind of want to chart at first, kind of puff, and you, you're seeing you, you're, if you can watch on, on TV, the uh, or on video, he kind of goes around to make sure every little square inch of that tobacco is lit. And as you're puffing, sometimes that or most of the time, that pipe tobacco will kind of rise, so don't freak out. When it's gotten a good enough light, then you take that tamper. And you're re kind of repacking that because with the heat comes expansion, right? So this is the key, and a lot of beginners aren't taught this. You want to keep that pipe tobacco compact. I mean, right? That's a fuel for the fire. So yeah, you want to keep the fire on the flame mm-hmm. on the leaf. Yeah, and then um, you retamp it. But I also I don't know if you've ever done this technique. I'm sure you have. When now when the the, the bowl is lit or the tobacco is lit. Anytime you tamp, I like to draw in yes. there at the same time. So otherwise, if you if you don't, yeah, you run the risk of just out snuffing out yeah. that fire. So if you kind of feed it with air, oxygen, right, it'll keep that fire from um, from going out. Uh, oh, okay. now I'm blanking on the word. It's like a carburetor effect. Hmm. If you think about it, because you're choking off and oh yeah yeah where the the airflow comes. Mm-hmm. In fact, what I'll do is you probably if you're watching on video, you probably see me do it. I take two fingers, okay, and I'll set it over the top of the bowl and hold it like that. That way, it limits the airflow. But because of that limitation, and due to the lovely amount of physics, the air flows faster through that gap. What? Yeah. Oh, I've never, I've never heard of that or seen that technique. That's pretty interesting. It's once again, as I said, I've most of my stuff I got from the internet, yeah. and so through the collective brain mass of many people online discussing Forms, things, yeah. just mm-hmm. things I picked up here and there, and. Yeah. Other fun things. And to me, that's the beauty of both pipes and cigars. I mean, there's just so much information out there. Like, I, I don't pretend to be an expert or 100% mm-hmm. knowing everything. I love learning little techniques or. I'm always learning. Yeah. yeah. Never fails to mm-hmm. learn. So. Um, and then, so you're, you pretty much got it lit. You're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you, you might have to touch up the pipe tobacco. Mm-hmm. I found maybe like if right someone now. snuffs it out too much or, or tamps it too much. Um, and that's like Jeremy says, it's not a problem. Yeah. So basically what I've been taught too with pipe tobacco smoking is, you know, it's an art, right? So it's that balance of smoking fast enough to where you keep the fire going, 
but not so fast where it increases that temperature where it's so hot and you might get that tongue bite or you can't hold the pipe. Yeah. 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 Or it's uncomfortable. Um, so with every different kind of cut there is every type tobacco has its own moisture content. That's where the variabilities come into play. So you just, you got to pay attention a little bit more to it. So, uh, one trick I've, I've been told is that, or technique is that if you can hold the bowl to your cheek and it's comfortable, then it's fine. If it's too hot, that means like slow down on the, yep. on the, I guess the, the, the you're, you're puffing, mm-hmm. you slow your rate. cadence down. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. 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 That's, that's good, good, good term, term. I've always used for it. Yeah. So if you want to get lit up, I can, uh, yeah. Fill in some of so, the, some tidbits or other oh, information. Let's see. So this is the frog Morton. Yep. From the famous McClellan, the now defunct or closed. Uh, now closed. McClellan. But I said, so as I touched on before, they shuttered their doors and they didn't sell their blends off mainly because the quality of the tobaccos they were getting from the American side were, they noticed were going downhill. Um, McClellan was known for and famous for their Virginia tobaccos, their Carolina reds, their, you know, the lemons, the oranges, all the ones they were getting stateside. Well, other factors, you know, a lot of the cigarette industry was taken over. So farmers are more incentivized to grow cigarette grade tobacco as opposed to pipe leaf. And they noticed that the quality of red Virginias, which was their one of their biggest sellers, their mainstays were red Virginias. They sold so many and they were so delicious, but they noticed that the quality was going down. And so they, instead Mm. of producing an inferior product, they decided to shutter their doors and, I believe it was 2017 when the decision went down. It, I it was a mad dash for people mm-hmm. buying it because no one wanted to lose it because of how solid it was. And for years, it was no one went deep on it right. because it was always available. Yeah, like that so, ten you could pick up at a store for like 15 bucks or online. That was that's probably probably going to be my number one professional regret is not opening up an account with McClellan. Every year at the trade show, I would see their table and always wanted to go. Like there was one year I actually got the, the pamphlets, information. I got some samples. I don't know where those samples are. I'm sure I have them somewhere. <laughs> um, but just kind of put it off because of that sentiment. Like, oh, they're always going to be there. Like I'll pick yep. it up at some point. And then that, that announcement came and I was so upset. In fact, like I should have just opened it up. You know, uh, and I I still remember that day when they announced it started out with one of their blends, fifty one hundred, which was this red ribbon that was everywhere. You could find it anywhere. It was delicious. It was a simple, clean red Virginia, nice, mildly sweet, not like overtly, just naturally. And I went to a local shop in town. Uh, you probably remember yeah, Miss Sarah, yeah, Sarah. Uh, buy tobacco, tobacco, which was at the time the pipe shop to mm-hmm. go to. Uh, her husband that ran it blended tobaccos out the wazoo and I would put him on par with the country squire. As I mentioned earlier, like they had some phenomenal blends. Yeah. And I remember going to Miss Sarah and I go, do y'all happen to have any 5,100? She goes, well, I don't have any bulk, but I have this tin that McClellan did at the time to skirt the deeming regulations from the FDA. They proved that they had prior sales of a tinned product because it was a different UPC than bulk. And so that is one of my prized possessions. It's a three ounce tin of 5100 that if I open it, 
it's going to have to be for a darn good reason. Right. And not just an LSU uh, no, national championship. No, 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 LSU national championship. That's usually a Davidoff or a release. I mean, yeah. You yeah. got to treat myself some way. Man. <laughs> repeatably. So how old is that pipe tobacco? I guess now it'd be like six years. I would put that. That you bought it from. I mean, since you bought it from her, at least. Six or seven. Okay. Because when did the demon regulations come out? 17? Yeah, somewhere around yeah, there. That's probably 16, about, 16. Yeah, 16, 17. Just about as old as that Ten of Frog Morton. And that's and that's another beautiful aspect of pipe tobacco. They date. Oh, they, they, yes. They a come. lot of manufacturers will date. Some not as obvious as others. Uh, but those resources can be found online to date. But pipe tobacco has a higher sugar content than uh, cigar tobacco. And because of that, it will age a lot differently and a lot more dramatically, I would find. Hmm. Um, and the beauty of it is pipe tobacco is vacuum sealed in tins most of the time. Uh, that you know, If you buy online or you buy from any of the bigger blending houses, they tin up their tobacco in, a, in an anaerobic environment where – You'll have your aerobic fermentation, which a lot of us know is, you know, that's beer, that's your wine, that's your whiskey. But then you have anaerobic fermentation, which happens in the lack of oxygen. Yeah. And so they'll tin these tobaccos up. They'll go through that first process of fermentation. And then as soon as all that oxygen is ate up in the tin from those microbes, the anaerobic will start up. And a different set of microbes will come and they'll ferment. And so these tobaccos, I have... Personally, from y'all, back, I found a tin of uh, MacBaron Navy Flake from 2012. I purchased that, I think, around the time frame of 2017. It already had five years on it. I opened that tin, and it sparkled. And that was from the sugar crystals in the tobacco. And that's another interesting aspect. I'm pretty, I don't know if any, y'all have talked about it on the podcast, but plume. Mm-hmm. Is it real? Does it exist? Yeah, yeah. Cigars. Personally, I'm a. I believe it's all mold, because I feel like it's a way that the industry was just used to sell product. Like, oh, instead of letting it go bad and having to get rid of it, right? Which I I can understand. Yeah, no, no manufacturer wants to admit that their product's bad, but yeah. it's a natural product. They're these are dead leaves at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, constantly but, decomposing essentially. Yes, but as I said, the sugar content and also a lot of tobaccos are topped or have casings that have additional sugar, and so. You'll find it's typically more flakes, but I've opened up tins or I've, you know, pulled stuff out of my cellar that I've had jarred up that have a sparkle to them. Like it's Mm -hmm. either salt or sugar or something from that casing. Just years of sitting and collecting on that leaf. I wonder if like with talking about the science of that, if that's kind of similar to like you see like Parmigiano Reggiano. Where that cheese, you cut into it. Yes, because those crystals. It has those crystals. I wonder if, if, if maybe there's some similarity. Well, Parmesan, it's going to be the uh, glutamates okay. that are crystallizing, you know, what gives us where we get like MSG from, well, not specifically MSG, but the same acid that creates monosodium glutamate okay. is glutamic acid. And so that's the crystallized form of that. Mm. Um, but who doesn't love a good piece of Parmesan cheese when it crunches? Right, right. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, flavor. Speaking of food, how was this weekend? I know you work. Uh, I don't know if I can mention the, the restaurant, but yeah, yeah, um, downtown. So Friday was good. Uh, you know, people were coming in for the Florida game for uh, saying they stay in the hotels downtown, and so we get full up on Fridays with people coming in and out of town. Like I had, a, uh, I had like a family group that, or a work group that was in for the game. Okay, and they were a blast. It's always fun whenever I, I you know. I, 
get to interact with these customers, especially when I know they're LSU fans, because I can just like rib them and have fun with them because they're here for the game. They're yeah. here to drink and have a good time. Yeah. Uh, but it was good. We had a good weekend. Yeah. And how about that game, huh? Oh, my Lord. That was a game. They, gave, yeah. they, had, they had me worried there for a minute. They always do. You know, yeah. Got to work on the defense. But Jaden Daniels, that yeah. man can run. That I'm still flabbergasted that we got an 85-yard quarterback sneak on one of those plays that just had me bewildered. Yeah. Befuddled. Yeah, I happened to catch the the I think it was the end of the third quarter to the end of the game and just like watching him. I don't I don't watch as much LSU football, but I happened to just catch it just out of curiosity and it was it was impressive like what you know, his performance. Oh, he's and now they're talking about Heisman. I haven't been watching so, the season as closely, but now they're talking Heisman. Is that is that valid or what do you think? Uh, I, I think it's very valid. I feel like he should have it, mainly because the dude is putting up numbers that no one else is. But the only reason a lot of people aren't talking about it as early as you know, we we have three losses. The record, yeah. yeah. <sighs> Daniels is not the defense. He is he was literally eighty two point seven percent of our offense. What Saturday? Holy cow! Yeah. Man. 606 yards on his own. He's the first player in FBS history to have 350 plus yards in the air, 200 plus yards on the ground. Mm-hmm. It's absurd. It's unheard of. And then on the uh, telecast, I saw some stat they threw up previous Heisman trophy winners that had three losses. Yeah, that yeah. includes Tim Tebow, Robert Lamar Griffin. Jackson. Yeah. And oh, Robert Lamar Griffin, the third. Yeah. Yeah. I, so it's not out of the question. Right. I hope to see LSU get another Heisman, especially so fast after Joe Burrow, mm-hmm. which that's another thing. If we never had Joe Burrow, we'd all be losing our minds over Daniels, mm. which is kind of a little funny to think yeah. about because LSU has never been known for our quarterbacks. Right. We've always been known for running backs, receivers, and defensive backs. We're not talking about defensive backs this year. I don't know what you're talking about. We, we don't have those. So but. that's is that has that been the strong? I mean the the weak point yeah. for this team this this year. Our defense has not been what it should be. Hmm. Um, and I say this with all the love of LSU in my heart. I really feel like there's a lot that can be worked on, and I feel like they know that as well. They have been. Imp- I have noticed they've been improving week by week. Um, it they have gotten better. We've gotten more stops. We've allowed less. Uh, you know, offense from the other opponents. But as I said, this year, I really can't be that upset. I'm yeah. a little disappointed, but it's been a good year. We only have three losses. Knock on wood, we won't have any more. Yeah. But it should be a good year for the rest of the year. So do you think Brian Kelly improves I feel from like, here on out? or, or I what? feel like Brian Kelly is doing a good job. I feel like once we get a few more years of players and development and recruitment and getting it fighting into the system. We will. Mm-hmm. Now I do like how you are proven on the question being that you already knew your exactly. fan, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you got to get a little bit of the, uh, ha, ha, he's on y'all. No, now. no, actually. So I'm different. Um, so I attended the university of Notre Dame and when LSU announced they got Brian Kelly, I was probably the only Notre Dame alum that said that was actually kind of happy and started predicting like, Oh man, if if LSU fans can give him time, at least three, four years, I predict he can bring a championship oh. to LSU. But as we know, our fan base doesn't have much patience. And uh fair weather fans. Like, yeah. I hate to say it. Yeah. Because there are a lot of diehard fans too. There are a lot of mm-hmm. people that bleed purple and gold. Uh, but we do have a fair bit of fair weather fans in our fan base. 
Uh, but I'm with you. I feel like once he has the talent, the talent pool down here, because let's be honest, a lot of those bigger schools, even up north, are pulling from the south. They're recruiting from the south. They, right. we, there is a massive amount of talent that comes out of these high schools down here. Mm-hmm. And it's not just Louisiana. You have Texas. You have Florida. You have Alabama. You have Mississippi. You have a powerhouses of just players that are coming up. I mean, and just over the years, as like people get like as the years go on, so these high school kids are like, "How are you a high school kid?" Like, yeah, you, you're a grown man playing yeah. high school football. What is going on? Yeah. What are they feeding you? Yeah, it must be the food down here. In know, the South, right? You know, hey, nothing like some gumbo and it's too fat of beef. You're right up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, I made that prediction based on his time at Notre Dame and then his time previous to that at Cincinnati. I mean, he built both of those programs up and Notre Dame, I mean, has been just lagging and has, in my opinion, has been resting on their laurels, you know, for decades. And, and I I think a lot of it has to do with like our academic standards. Um, but like, like what Brian Kelly did, and I think took us to at least one or two championship appearances, but we lost to Alabama. So that was kind of interesting to watch Brian Kelly and LSU, how he would face off mm-hmm. with Nick Saban, but didn't get it done. But uh, oh, that, uh, that, that, this year. Right, this year, right. Last year. Oh, that yeah. was fun. The one game I didn't bring cigars to. Oh, man. Yep. Have you noticed? I feel like in the re- recent years, you're seeing more cigar smoking on the field, as especially a, in the SEC. Oh, as a celebration, like uh, when people storm the fields. Yeah, it's yeah. becoming a thing. I love that. I- I'm here for it. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about the wafting of cigar smoke in the fall uh, air after a victory. Do you know if a lot of LSU fans in the stadium at Tiger Stadium bring cigars? Do they smoke? I know that's a big thing in Alabama. It's a non-zero number. There is, I see a fair bit of fans when I'm walking tail, like walking about tailgating. I mean, I, okay, but I'm, outside. But what about in the stadium? Like maybe after a win or I don't really see. So that. no. Because right. we're not supposed to, you know, no tobacco campus. I'm sure but same I with have, Alabama, though. Yes. After, so. as I said, after the Alabama game last year, I actually know there was a uh, the Bocock cigar guys. They were mm-hmm. posting pictures of guys actually smoking their cigars on the field, which I don't know if they had a table set up handing them out, which I would have liked to know where. I love a free cigar. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, there were some people on the field smoking cigars afterwards. Like it's but kind of becomes synonymous with big wins. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't hurt that, you know, you have the images of Joe Burrow yeah. smoking a cigar after the national championship. And when baseball did it, they were smoking cigars. And even the women's basketball team, they were smoking yeah, cigars. That's cool. I was like, okay, get it, girls. I yeah. like it. Yeah. Well, it, it just shows you like the, the traditional aspect of enjoying a cigar mm-hmm. after a victory, right? Like that victory cigar that uh I know there was that Boston Celtics head coach. Uh, I think his name was Patriot. Cool. Wasn't the Patriots? Uh, I don't know about the Patriots, but in bat in the NBA, I think the coach was Red Auerbach. Is is how? Yeah, he was known as like pulling out the victory cigar. Ah. This is like back, I guess, in yeah. the I don't know what decade that would have yeah. been, maybe seventies. I know the Patriots. One of their recent uh, Super Bowl wins, they pulled out that the they made a special humidor of the Padron Hammers. Oh yeah, and that's I, right. I remember yeah, yeah. Uh, the owner bought uh, Kraft. Yeah, Robert Kraft, Kraft was handing he, them yeah, out. He hands out the like, hey, these yeah. are fifty-year-old cigars. I'm sitting there going, like, it's it's a drink fifty if it's not <laughs> yeah, fifty years old. Yeah, yeah but yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll just take I'll take a cigar. I'll take a cigar, that, especially if it's a fifty years. Yep. But no, and I'm seeing that a lot more, not just in the collegiate level, but 
in the professional level where you see you're, you're seeing the the hand, you know, the passing out of cigars after yeah you know world series like we saw it with the texas rangers they were passing out the oscar Vidaris. yes uh, lsu college baseball they yep. were passing out yep. um baseball uh the the i think it was it bocock brothers it was also? Bocox, yeah, yeah. the world traveler habano because it's purple and gold yeah and for those who don't know bocock brothers shout out to them they're a uh boutique cigar uh company that uh most of their stuff is either made by placencia or aj fernandez and one of the brothers it's two brothers he graduated lsu so that's that's where that connection with mm-hmm. with LSU and and Bocock Brothers comes into play. Yeah, I saw their Instagram page yesterday. They had uh, they, they made some some kind of cigar in for, honor for the uh, 2003 yes national so champion they, uh, team. They did that for the 20th anniversary, which I remember when my mom mentioned that to me. That was 20 years ago. I had a existential crisis because that was 20 years ago, and I was 10 when they won that game. Oh no! Yeah, it's. Where does the time go? But yeah. they did make a special band um, for those cigars, and I actually have a couple. Because uh, of those, yes. two thousand three. Okay, well, I've mentioned it to you before. My mom worked for mm-hmm. football uh, during that time frame. She was on staff, and so she went to go reminisce with some of the players, and she grabbed me a couple while we were there. So I'm think I think it's their Connecticut. It doesn't look like the Habano. It's too light, but they well, they were also had they were selling boxes to the players. Okay. Um, I would have, would not have mind grabbing one, but yeah. you know, I wasn't there. I had to work. So yeah. now you mentioned um, your mom's connection with LSU and you mm-hmm. attended LSU. Yep. Tell me about your time as a, you know, what you did there. Ah, so I did my four years at LSU and I was also a non-playing member of the tiger band um, where I was, what was affectionately referred to as a, I was a band manager, a.k.a. band mom. Okay. Other words I don't want to say on the podcast. But basically, I was a student staff member, and I helped with a lot of miscellaneous things. Like, with, if anyone's have any experience with marching band, like the practice field, we typically do dots along the uh, yard lines to help get the, the bandsmen get their positions. So we would go out and do that before the games. Okay. Get the ladders set up and help with uniform maintenance and stock of uh, old barred instruments or whatnot so basically just helping hand around with the band staff with the band directors and assist graduate assistants um and so you did that during your your uh four years yep, did that yeah. for all four years mm-hmm. uh it was essentially like a job at the time because we would we had mondays off but tuesday to saturday we had practice uh all, all those days. Saturdays, of course, was game day. Okay. But Tuesday to Friday, we would practice, and the time slot would be, like, I think 2 to 5, was, and it was right when, like, every place had a shift change, so it's, like, kind of hard to maintain a job. So college, I just did band manager, and I would go work at one of the restaurants on the weekend, and okay. had a good time doing it. But because of being in Tiger Bam, I got to go to multiple bowl games with the, team, uh, with the band. Uh, I got apparel each year like we would get nike gear uh like polos and we get backpacks oh man nice well you had to be in uniform yeah and so they would provide us with that and the coolest thing i got to go do is i got to go to ireland in 2014 the march of the st patrick's day parade oh huh. and that was a feat we uh did a lot of fundraising to help send the whole band because not a lot of schools have the funds to just up and send their band to 
a foreign country for yeah. like a two and a half day trip. Wow. So we did a lot of uh, fundraising with the help of like some local organizations like the Bingle Bells and other groups like that. And so we got enough to send the full three hundred and three the full three twenty five, which is the total operating number of the band members. Okay. That includes Golden Girls and the Color Guard. And then the like the twenty five extra of us staff members and associated family and people. Man, so you went to Ireland got for that? To, yeah, I got to go to March in the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Um, me and one of my other band managers got to hold the banner in front of the whole band. Uh, so if you look up photos, you'll see my little self. I think I'm on the right side if you're looking at it, looking yeah. at the banner. But, yeah, that was a great trip. Um, got to experience a little bit of those oppressive European toba- tobacco taxes. Yeah. Did you go to Peterson? So I stepped into Peterson, and I looked around. I was like, oh, wow, this is so cool. And then I'm swiftly yanked by the back of my neck, like, come on, we got to go get food. Oh. And so all the other times I tried to walk back by there, they were closed. Oh, okay. So, and so for those who don't know, what's what's Peterson? What are we talking Peterson about? Peterson is one of the storied pipe makers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also have tobaccos and other goodies. But Peterson Pipes have been around for years. They're an Irish uh, company. They're typically known for their machine-made pipes. So what they'll what they'll do is they'll take the block of briar, and they'll machine out the basic shape of you know like the top of the bowls and the stems, and then they're finished by hand. Mm-hmm. And then there's other finishes that they put on like the rustication and the paint and all that. And so, they've Peterson has been around for since I think the 1800s, somewhere in that time frame. Yeah. I mean, you can find pre Republic of Ireland pipes and all that. I have an old second line from them their shamrock hmm. that i found in a local antique store i was like oh hey this is old cool wow yeah so you you didn't get a chance to go back that's a shame but did they like how big was the was the storefront it was a pretty good pretty good size store okay they had a lot of uh a lot of beautiful pipes and uh, i mean i didn't get time to dig in and look mm-hmm. at all of it but they had some good stuff i will say i am glad i do not have to buy cigars in ireland Oh yeah, you said, are, you mentioned their oppressive are, uh, tax oppressive situation, yeah. and they don't have the pretty bands anymore. And yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, it's nice. Oh wait, they got to, they got rid of the uh, bands. They, and, they have and, the puke green bands. Hmm. Yeah, that must be just a British or uh, UK thing. It's a UK thing. In Ireland, and, Irish thing. Yeah, and New Zealand and Australia. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I yep. guess any of the Commonwealth nations. Yeah, I think in Canada it's the same way too. Yep. In Canada, although in Canada, a lot of the time, the plain packaging requirements now. Yeah, yeah. although mm-hmm. a lot of the times you could just slide that little green band off, and it's pretty band still under there. But really, yeah. oh, that's funny. Uh, well, a lot more of the recent stuff. I don't know about new production, but yeah. the last few years, people will be able to buy a box and like, oh, hey, look, band. Yeah. So, like when when people uh, come into our store and ask us like tips on when they travel abroad about buying Cuban cigars, because of course you can't legally buy and sell here. You know, I I try to tell them like don't don't buy it in the UK because that tobacco tax is so bad. Oh, it's so and and if you see like if, if you read Cigar Aficionado, they have um, at least I used to. I haven't um, seen an issue recently, but when they would quote the prices, they would put pounds, and it's like way above MSRP. Oh, yeah. So I try to tell people, look, if you're if you want to travel abroad, and if you can get a chance to go to at least Spain, I don't know about Germany and France, which would also be good cigar markets, but Spain has the best pricing on Cuban cigars because of their historical connection. Yep. 
and then the conglomerate that over, that that distributes Habanos that distributes uh, the cigars around the world. Typically, the uh, Espana regionals are pretty good too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those are awesome. You know what? Uh, another ones I've had good regionals from uh, Caribbean, the Caribs. Hmm. Yes. Really? Which one? Uh, the La Gloria Cubana Carib is one of my all-time favorite Habanos. Uh, that's a what size is that about? Do you oh, remember? It's like a petite robusto range. Okay. Uh, so it's not the biggest cigar, but it is flavorful, and it's one of my biggest regrets. A uh, while back, uh, one of the forums that I'm a member of, we decided to do a massive group buy of Cuban cigars, and so we had like four or five boxes that we got like three, four of each box, mm-hmm. parted them all out. You know, we all worked out the prices, and we all paid and got all sent the same sampler of cigars. At the end of it, there was about. 11 or 12 of those uh, La Gloria Cubana Caribs left. And I'm sitting there going like, man, I really want the rest of those, but I don't need to do it. I need to be good. And this is back when Cuban prices were not crazy. Yeah. And I was actually looking at some of the pricing today. No, as a matter of fact. It's absurd. But at, at the time I was like, man, I need to be good. I don't need to do it. Mm-hmm. I kick myself to this day. To oh. this day. Those things were so good. But if the touch, what you said about the Cuban prices Oh, you used to be able to find your gray market sellers. You could get a box of like Cohiba Sigilo ones. The last time I bought a box was $198 for a box of Sigilo ones. Yeah, they're a little short yeah. smokes, but nowadays that same box, you're looking at four to $500. Whoa. So I talked to uh, Steve Saka months ago. This must have been back in May of this year. And he gave me insight into the effects of the Cuban cigar pricing. I may have talked about it in a previous episode, but anyway, uh, so because the prices went up so drastically, the non-Cuban or the new world cigars are now selling a lot more in the international markets because people are realizing, especially retailers, well, I can get just as good, actually better quality cigars at like a third of the price. Why not just start, offering and, and stocking the shelves with the non-cuban cigars oh and it makes sense uh in fact i find you have more range of flavors with the non-cubans mm-hmm. let's be honest there's no way to actually tell if the blend of a cohiba is different than the blend of a monte cristo mm-hmm. it's a communist country they're not going to tell us right like for yeah. all we know it's all the same leaf from the same valley it just looks prettier than the other mm-hmm. right so yeah, it's all very kind of mono yeah. like monotone or yep. mono well it, as I said, like they're they're very tight lipped about it. They want to maintain that mystique. Mm-hmm. And I still think America is one of the biggest buyers of Cuban cigars. It's just not legal. That's right. That I've been told that. Officially, we can't be listed in mm-hmm. like any of the numbers. But yeah, talking to people in the industry, Americans are buying most of the, the Cubans abroad. Yeah. Like it because we're still the number one cigar consumer yeah. in the world. So and of course, you I'm know, sure China will be catching up to it too. They are well, they own half of Habanos. Yeah. And they're they're booming with tobacco. Mm-hmm. Um, little side note: my brother got to go to China a couple of years back, right before the pandemic, uh, when he was working for a vape shop, and mm-hmm. he was going to go. He got to be like this vape industry trade show, which in China, yes, okay, in uh, Shenzhen, I believe. 
I think it's so funny that you yeah. you are the brother who likes the, the premium cigars and pipe tobacco, and, and he's the one who does the vape. Yep. It was fun at the time when he was working there because uh, where the shop used to be was right next door to the vape shop he worked at. Yeah, yeah. And so I would always go in and enjoy my cigars, and I would get a text message from him like, hey, give me some gelato. And at the time, y'all used to have that capital city gelato. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I just go run across the store and bring him some gelato. Yeah. But um, you got so go, he went. So he went over to China. He got to go over show. to China, and one of the guys that was there, kind of guide. Um, my brother thinks he might have been part of the triad. This dude was smoking through boxes of Bolivar Royal Coronas. What? Just smoking them like cigarettes. Dang. Like just keeping them down. I'm like, that's absurd. Yeah. But you know. There's money in China. It's not all purely communist anymore. It's it's becoming more capitalist. What what city was that? Where where do you know? Was it Hong? It wasn't. Was it Hong Kong? It was either Hong Kong or Shenzhen. Okay, because I know Hong Kong historically has been very like that's a cigar capital. Yep, people don't know. And um, I had a buddy who also went to Hong Kong. Can't remember if it was the fall of 2019 or the fall of 2018. Obviously before the lockdowns, but and he's a big cigar smoker. Um, he was telling when he got back, he was telling me the stories of like the the cigar lounges in Hong Kong. If you have a chance to go there, they're they're just awesome. Like they're a cigar nerds, yeah. You know, dream. And you go to these lounges, and you see, you know, with Hong Kong being a financial center, a lot of like the 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 you know the stock pickers or people uh, in the financial markets they will work from the cigar lounges they have the wi-fi <laughs> and they're just smoking and on the computer like it's it's awesome yeah hey, that's that's but ba- living the dream but like hong kong to like to to kind of underscore the point of how um i guess like cigar forward they are what i've been told is that a lot of especially like your collect there's a lot more collect there are a lot more collectors in hong kong so they will have like a room or a closet and just age cigars. Like they're constantly buying cigars by the box. And what they like to do, a lot of them is age their, their cigars for like at least 10, 20 years. Oh, the dream. And so when they're smoking, like they're constantly rotating age. So they're constantly buying cigars, but just to set away. Yep. And then whatever they're smoking is, has been aged to like whatever, whatever um, preference. Yeah. Yeah. They like, um, be careful with that though. Cause I've, there's some cigars that will age out. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Nothing more fun than sitting on a box and you're so excited for it. And then you go to smoke and you're like, I mean, it's there, but it's not. It's kind of sad. Have you heard the name Minron Nee before? Minron Nee? No. Okay. So there, I got to do maybe a podcast on, on him. So he is, uh, he's the author of this, like, and I have a copy. I should have brought it. I didn't know we would be talking about that, but. He wrote a, a a book, co-wrote it with an individual from the Cuban government about Cuban cigars, essentially. The title is called, it's like a long name, The Illustrated Encyclopedia to the Post-Revolution Havana Cigar is the name <laughs> of the title. And it's like, I don't know, 400 pages maybe. Oh, wait, is that the big old cigar? Yeah, yeah. Encyclop- oh. Yeah, yeah. You know, they- so all the pictures in that book are from his collection. And he goes into detail about every brand. From it, obviously, right the the post revolution. Have you seen the recent one? No. There, someone I, I cannot remember it is, but I have a few friends that bought it. There is a new cigar encyclopedia, and it's a much more up to date version of the Cuban cigar market. Is is it is it written by that same individual, Minrani? I will have to get back to you on that. Okay. 
Because I'm sure I've wondered if he's had like different printings. Yeah. Um, but it's this beautiful like coffee table book. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, like gold leaf on the edges, and it it it's stunning. I mean, I've personally haven't had one in my hands. But I've had friends that have I've never showed it. you that book? No, you never okay. showed me that book. Yeah, we after to... we uh, get done with this, I'll show it to you. Definitely. So the one I have is a first printing, and I think it came out in 2003 or four. But in it, he has a section on aging. Mm-hmm. And he kind of takes a, a scientific approach. Now, there's not a lot known. Well, of course, a lot of Americans don't even know who, who he is. But for a while, people were starting to wonder, like, is this guy real? Like, they didn't even know if he was, if he was real. But my friend who went to Hong Kong, he said he went to a cigar lounge. I think it was called Cigar, I don't know how to pronounce it, Divan or Divan, D-I-V-A-N. It's a well-known cigar lounge. And they actually had a sign uh, or something attributing to Min Ron Nee that, no, like, like, this is his spot or his store. And maybe that's not even a lounge, but, like, apparently he's real. So, like, but he's kind of like, I don't know, like a Kaiser Soze of, of like <laughs> Cuban cigars and aging in, in, like in the Hong Kong market. This, this mythological fi- figure yeah, of knowledge. Yeah. yeah, but I'll have to show you this book. It's, it's pretty right. impressive. Um, they even have a, 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 a section for Davidoff. Yes. Because remember, we had the Davidoff, Davidoff dinner yeah, that- last week, and, and the uh, ambassador kind of told us about. Yep. Do you remember? Yeah, the the Davidoff used to have Cuban heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact. A little bit of tidbit. I uh, don't know how common knowledge it is. I've heard this before, and I might be wrong, but the Dav- the Cohiba Q- Sigalo line okay. is supposedly based off that Davidoff line. That used to be Cuban. Oh, the Chateau series, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, And which kind of, the timelines do meet hmm. up, because Cohiba's not that old of a brand, if I'm right? Uh, it was one of the first, or if not the first, post-revolution okay. cigars. Yeah, so, so Evan, from 60... Yeah, 60, Evan, Evan... 63, maybe? The Sigalos came out in, like, the late 90s, right? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not, like, well... Like yeah, I was about well Cuban, the Cuban... But I've heard that this, uh, the Sigalo 1 through 6 are supposed to be clones of what those Davidoff blends were in oh, Cuba. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because a lot of people, to give insight mm-hmm. to listeners, Davidoff used to be made in cuba and the series we're talking about i think was released in the 70s or 80s yep because for me like the davidoff dom perignon is like my white whale I, i'm trying to find one but i've heard like even from from our rep said that i mean they're kind of aged out now i mean it's what we're, we're talking about like close to a 40 year old cigar yeah so it's probably aged out um cuban not much flavor i mean at the time cuban leaf used to be some of the strongest stuff but over 40 50 years that's going to peter out yeah but but yeah no they had cuban heritage and then in the 90s when they got a shipment and Zeno davidoff was not happy with it yeah. i mean did not like it but he had to honor the commitment he bought all the cigars and then i believe he said in front of the press basically took a match and burned the whole pile because they because were it not, wasn't to his, uh, not of his quality. And then no. from that point, they left and went to the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. And they are what we know today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a really fun dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and to explain to people, we just had uh, basically a cigar dinner with Davidoff that they marketed as the Davidoff Gastronomy Experience. We had it at Cocha, which, I mean, I got to give him props. Just Excellent. awesome. Yeah. Have you have you been to Cocha before? That was that? my first experience with Cocha. Okay. Yeah. It's a restaurant in downtown Baton Rouge. I guess I would describe their cuisine as like contemporary European, New Age, Ameri- yeah, but just 
a focus on like really good product, you know, sourcing it at the uh, farmer's market locally. And Oh yeah, they do have that farmer's market right mm-hmm. next to them. Yeah. So on, on North sixth street for, for anyone curious, um, if they're interested in hearing about it, but, uh, yeah, we had the cigar dinner there. We had it outside the brand ambassador and our rep was there. We had our folk come in and they just, they created a menu specifically for the, the cigars that we were pairing. So it was an awesome time. That was great. Yeah. Right, now I just see more of that duck. Yeah. That was so good. <laughs> that was yeah. So good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, no, this smoke is really good. Um, I'm pretty impressed with it. Like to me, it's gotten even just cleaner during the session. It, this this uh, frog Morton. Yeah. As you work your way down the bowl, kind of like as you're progressing through a cigar, it will, I mean, not super much, but the flavors will change and it will concentrate a little bit more and get a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this is an English. And as we mentioned earlier, they're smoky. But the one thing that was a beautiful aspect of McClelland, especially this Frog Morton series, it wasn't super in your face. It wasn't like you're sitting next to a barbecue grill, smoky. It was a milder smoky, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I got a lot of that smoky character in the beginning, mm-hmm. but as as we're progressing, like it's really just like balanced out, mellowed out. Uh, I'm pretty happy with it. And so to kind of bring up another tip that we impart to beginners is during the session while you're smoking your pipe, um, you know, as you're smoking and if you see it and start to notice the smoke get thinner, it, you got to retamp during the session because, because the number one complaint I hear from beginners is that, Oh, the pipe tobacco keeps going out on me. I got to keep relighting it. Well, they weren't told that during the session you, you need that tamper. Yep. So because with the heat, that pipe tobacco always wants to spread out. Well, and you're making ash mm-hmm. as well. So you want to push that. But you got to retamp it and, yeah. and feed that fire. So once you retamp that, and you, again, you got to draw in there at the same time, you'll notice it catch fire again and you're good. So you, it prevents you from having to relight. But like you said, if you have to relight, that's fine. Yeah. But you still have to yeah, retamp it. Keep it going. Mm-hmm. Now, I will, I will say a little bit of a caveat to that. You don't want the same volume of smoke output as a cigar yeah because you're drawing too hard at that point you know as you talked about earlier with the you know you don't want to get it too hot Mm. so you you're going to have a fair bit of smoke but you don't want too little either too much too little it's a balance Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. and that's where as you said a lot of people will have issues with pipe tobacco is an art and like pipe smoking you will find your pattern your rhythm your preference to smoking a pipe. It will take time. It is a patient man's thing. Mm-hmm. It, there's rituals to it. As I mentioned earlier, with setting your tobacco out to dry, you know, like as there's some, one of the forms of pipe tobacco that I enjoy personally, it's just fun. There are plugs of tobacco where it's whole leaf that has been pressed together. And to the point that it's a solid brick. And I, I know a guy that has been blending his own plugs. He gets them from whole leaf tobacco, websites mm-hmm. he'll case them he'll strip <clears throat> the stems and he bought himself a hydraulic press and just will make his blends crank them down and that way that plug will hold moisture for years almost that's how they used to sell it you know back in the day you know where you get your navy blends from because it would be yeah what rest. makes it a navy blend well typically it was these plugs of tobacco in order to keep them moist you throw them in the rum barrel yep 
Yeah, they were and basically so, cased or topped with with rum. With rum. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. because they were, you know, they, you know, sailors, they they just throw it in the rum barrel, keep it, uh, keep it moist, and hey, I can get drunk while smoking it too. Why not? Mm-hmm. So, but that's where the navy blend comes from is that rum casing. Yeah. So let's go on t- and discuss about estate pipes. Yes. So what can you tell me about estate pipes? What are we talking about? Estate pipes typically come it's the better description for a lot of the times they're secondhand pipes. Mm-hmm. And that does not that's not to demean them in any way shape or form. Most of the pipes that I got when I first started on this hobby were estate pipes that, you know, they've been used but they're not full price. It was an easier more acceptable way into the hobby. And then you have some estate pipes that are actually from an estate. And, but the thing about it is it could be all over the board in range of quality and a range of wear, tear, use. But sometimes you get lucky and you find some really well-kept estates and you Mm -hmm. find some really good deals. Yeah. To which uh, leads to the perfect segue for the pipes that we have here. So I called you, this must have been about a month and a half ago. Yeah. So one of my dreams of being a, a tobacconist came true where we had a gentleman come in and we get, you know, people from time to time uh, offering to, to sell us maybe some of their relatives pipes who passed away. And I always was waiting for what if we get like that Dunhill in that pack or in that, in that bunch. And it finally happened. So we had a gentleman come and he had a collection of like over 60 pipes. And, you know, he asked us, oh, would we have an interest in buying these and offering them as estate pipes? And we said, oh, yeah, well, let's take a look. We'll always want to take a look just to see. And they had this one pipe, which I recognize as a Dunhill with their signature uh, white dot. Yep, the white spot. And I didn't really know how to price it, but I just always wanted a Dunhill in our collection. And so we came up with the pricing and got the whole lot. But I didn't really know anything about the other like 59 pipes i was just like after this one and once we started doing our research we realized holy cow we have like a real connoisseur's collection yep so um basically i brought a few of the the pipes from our estate um collection and and we marketed it as a dr dan yep estate because it was that was who the uh the, the deceased uh individual uh was and so the first one, like I said, is is uh, Dunhill, and these are just so you know, if you're listening or, or watching this, they're available uh, for sale on our on our website. And yeah, like these are real collectors' pieces. And I didn't really know much about Dunhill to begin with, so I had to do a lot more research, um, you know, regarding just the company itself. And I came to an appreciation that if you look at the markings, they have you know, numbers or, or yep. letters that actually mean something. Yes. So can you give me some insight into that or what sure, you know yes. about? So this Dunhill Shellbrier, this is a group four, which is one of the larger groups and that has to do with the bowl size okay. know, and all that. Um, It does have the size or the shape number, which is eluding me because this one's a little bit older. But I think this is an O4. But this is their classic billiard shape. Yeah, that's a billiard. And so they, pipe makers, manufacturers, they have so many different systems for shapes and sizes and finishes, but you have your standard shapes. But this is their classic billiard. In fact, Dunhill was one of the 
pioneers of this shape. Like billiards is one of their classic bread and butter. Okay. But the shell briar is a sandblast finish. Typically means that the briar wasn't necessarily pretty enough to be a smooth finish to show all the grain, but still unique enough that they wanted to give it a textural experience. And you could still see some of the ring grain on here, and it's it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So this is what we have listed on our website at shop.tabanaport.com. We have an actual section called the, the Dr. Dan Estate Pipe Collection. Um, so I'm just going to read a little bit uh, from this, this entry. Based on the markings on the bottom, we have determined that this Dunhill is from the Shellbriar finish slash line, which refers to their sandblasting process of Algerian briar root, or as their patent application states, shelled by the application of heat and sand. The date code indicates that this is from 1964. LBS refers to long billiard, but we have yet to confirm the S. We think it means slender as there is just the LB classification. F slash T refers to the mouthpiece, which is a fishtail format. Um, in near mint condition, there is only slight cake in the bowl. And as most of Dr. Dan's pipes, this one has been well kept. And all estate pipes are sold as is. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I really came to an appreciation for Dunhill in that, the, you know, their markings are code. There's so much information that that someone can can uh, yeah, and find out. There's lots of resources to find that out as well. Mm -hmm. One of the ones that I go to if I'm ever looking at estate pipes online, if I'm curious, if I want to pick one up myself, uh, Pipepedia. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've used that resource. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. and they have all kinds of makers on like the Savinelli that I have in my hand. You can find information on um, from Peterson on Dunhill on any of this stuff. And one of the beautiful things about Dunhill is I mentioned earlier, Peterson's more like, or machine made pipes. Uh, Dunhill is definitely has a lot more hands on in the process, but you could kind of say they're in a similar vein. Mm -hmm. um, they manufacture a lot of the same standard shapes. They're available. They have multiple different finishes, and they're always going to be quality. Yeah. yeah. I have a couple of my collections. I have one from, like, the 1950s. It's a little Group 1 Apple. That thing is perfect for a short smoke, and I also have a little bit more. And they have some obscure ones as well, like one that I call my – it's my birthday volcano. It's a 1993 Shellbriar um, sitter that looks – it has, like, a conical bowl on the outside, so it kind of looks like a sitting volcano with a stem on it. No, it's uh, and and, that, and for the price, I mean, I think that it's pretty pretty reasonable, um, you know, to get something that's 50, 60, 70 years old. Um, so anyone interested that uh is in our shop, or can go online, they can take uh they can take a look and see the pictures. But just to uh kind of prop up for the camera, a little bit more uh, rep better representation of it. Um, before we get to the next pipe. Can we, so what, what pipe do you have? So this today? one is a little bit special to me. This is one of the first pipes that I bought in my first years of pipe smoking. Um, this is my Savinelli 20 St. Nicholas 2016. Oh, if I remember correctly, the size. It'd be like a slight bent or half bent. No, it's a full. It, it oh, it's a full bent. bent. Okay. Billiard. It's one, it's, it's like a 603 KS, which is their, bent billiard line um but the ks typically stands for like extra big like this this, okay. is, a, this is a big boy um 
I love this pipe is treating me well. I got these from my purchases from Lou. Mm-hmm. Oh, almost what seven years ago now? Yes. So, but it's been a trustworthy pipe. And Seven Ellie is another one. They're up there with Peterson. They are a lot of these pipes are machine made, but I have never ran across a Seven Ellie that was unsmokable. Yeah. No, solid, solid pipe. Solid. I would, with a fair characterization of Savinelli, be like Savinelli is to Italy as Peterson is to Ireland. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Very well, well known Mm -hmm. pipe manufacturers for those respective uh, countries. Yes. Yeah. And then just to uh, let people know what I'm, what I smoked today, uh, this is a Nording and they are Danish and this is part of their Hunter series. So I, I don't know if they still do it. I haven't really. They do. They do? Yeah. Okay. Um, every year they, they pick an animal and they base the, the shape of the pipe based on that animal. And this one was a, a cheetah. So, uh, and I just like the shape of it. That's what kind of. It has a nice round. Yeah. It's well in the hand. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's one of the things we tell people who are interested in, in, in buying a pipe. It's all personal preference, mm-hmm. right? What looks good to you? What feels good in the hand? How does it feel resting in the mouth if you're going to be holding it, yeah. you know, like so? I mean, of course, you don't want to do that in the middle of the shop. Like, oh, let me put this part in my mouth. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, there are some shops that have, like, these little sleeves. We used to do that. Sam, yeah, Sam showed me those a while back. I'm like, that's cool. So yeah. a little weird. Yeah, yeah. It's co- almost kind of like a pipe condom. <laughs> where it, it allows the consumer to, yes. like, kind of test it. But we stopped doing that or even offering that just because it's, yeah. I don't know, it just seems kind of weird. It, it, it's a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't want to buy a pipe. Wondering, like, man, was this in other people's mouths? It's, it's Even like, though it had a covering. Well, and well, that is a lot know? of why people are so kind of. Some people are apprehensive to buying estate pipes, right? But, right. You know, nine times out of ten, they've been cleaned, and yep. if it's been sitting long enough, anything that's on it's going to be dead. Yeah, and that's what we like. Most uh, pipe shops that offer estate pipes, they go through cleaning, mm-hmm. dis- disinfecting. Um, so we're not going to put out something that we wouldn't smoke ourselves. And if you're absolutely that worried about it there, you can find guys that will refurbish your pipe for you. Oh, okay. And they're, guys, and they're not that pricey, maybe 20 bucks, but get a you know, polish and shine and get a good clean on it. And boom, like brand new. Yeah. And so, uh, let's go on to the next pipe from the Dr. Dan collection. I like this one. Um, it's from a company called Becker. Are you familiar with Becker? Yeah. Becker, but he's more of a independent carver. If I remember yeah. Correctly. Yep. So let's see here. Here's some of the information I have. Um, it's called the Becker Sandblasted Morta, and in parentheses, bog oak. Some I'm sure maybe that refers to the finish. No, bog oak is the wood. Oh, okay. So, so it's, it's not briar. No, that is not briar. That is hmm. Morta, which is essentially, you know how we have the swamp cypress here in Louisiana? Yeah. yeah. Bog, it's essentially the same thing, except that's oak that is was found at the bottom of a bog. Hmm. And because of the environment the lack of oxygen it's just created that color that color in the way it's it changed the properties of the wood yeah no i just like how the piece looks just from from this from a shape standpoint yes. and the color and there's a lot more information online so we have all these listed online if 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 people who are listening uh have more interest um on to the third one what can you tell me about this because i didn't even uh Take a good look at this one. This one is, I'm a little bit of a fan of this maker or, or make group of makers. This is a Castello Old Sea Rock. 
and old in the Finnish name, but also old in the fact that this one is from the Carlos Scotti era of Carvers. Right now, I believe they are on Kino, but this is a Costello 4K, which is their grading system. Okay. So the more K, typically the bigger it is and the better the grade. Uh, yes, I know it can be unfortunate for some of their pipes. The joke's been made. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. This is their number 56. So there are another ones that number their shapes. Okay. So this is kind of like a tall bulldog. It has those lines and it's that square diamond shank. Um, but this is their Sea Rock finish, which was a rustication hmm. as opposed to a sandblast. Uh, which we talked about with that bog oak and that shell briar. Rustication is a process to where the maker will have a little tool with a handle on it with maybe some nails or some little spikes coming out of it. And what they'll do is they'll take that tool, kind of work their way on the briar on the outside of it, make these pockets and divots and bumps and grooves and bruises, and that rusticates it. Um, It's another way of using a piece of briar that might not have made grade to be a sandblast or a smooth finish because like you know, okay. the grain of it didn't necessarily fit to what the carver really wanted um but another indication of the age of this one is i don't know how well the camera can pick it up but the marking on the stem is like a little rhinestone and that's what costello used to use for the american market for years until recently they've changed it's now like a white bar uh that's their way like, like they're marking I guess, yeah they're huh? marking it's yeah. it's more so to show you the right way up on the stem because hmm. uh over the time you'll notice like if i take this and if i was to put it in upside down it hey don't really like going in that way but it it won't match up yeah yeah like these stems are finished to match up to the pipe if for any pipe maker worth their salt will have it where they're flush and I so see. that marker is to help remind you that it goes this way up yeah that's pretty cool yep and it's also just how you can tell it's their pipe and where you may have said it what country of origin italy italy okay so italy is has a lot of pipe carvers and you know seven ellie is one of them costello is one of the bit of the higher end more well known and they're known for quality uh these are typically handmade these are done by hand Okay. So there are deviances. Like I have a couple of seven L, seven L, Casello thirty threes, which is kind of this sh- chunky billiard shape. One of them sits flat. One of them kind of rolls a little to the side because it's more rounded on the bottom. But that's just a show sign that they're handmade. They're not going to be perfect. Yeah. So, but handmade's a good thing when it comes to pipe because it means that person's got their hand on it. They've seen it. They know about it. You know, they were able to get that draft hole just right and. Make it where it smokes like a dream. I guess. Um, I wonder if like a common view on uh, pipes is that all of them are handmade. But you alluded to that. Uh, I mean, there are a lot that are machine made. Well, though, yeah, they're they're started by a machine. Like you know, you'll have the lathe systems where they'll basically they have a blank in one that they, and a guide that follows it with the cutting arm on another. Um, and a lot of a lot of pie makers use laves to make their pipes, but you can't do all the bends and cuts and curves of a pipe on a lathe. You have to finish it by hand in some way, shape, or form. So yeah. machine-made is a term, but a lot of it's more of like, is it a factory-made pipe or is it a someone that's a passionate about it and is an artisan made in their you know garage or 
workshop. Because we have some pipes like that. Yes. There's one from Vermont. I, the the name eludes me right now. Um, it's just like one guy, one yep. one pipe manufacturer. And some of these guys, uh, one of the uh, famous one, former Nielsen. That guy's out of Denmark with his pipes. And you'll look at them and like, oh, man, that's a nice, solid pipe. Then you look at the price and you're like, oh, that's in the thousands. Yeah. But that just goes to the quality and craftsmanship that he puts into those pipes to make sure they're spot on, they smoke well, and they are like quintessential examples of that pipe and that shape. And, and that example you just described, you said Nielsen? Former Nielsen. Okay. Okay. In fact, one of the ones in that collection was a, a collab with Nielsen and Eltang, if I remember correctly. Well, that's what I was looking. When you said that name, it reminded me of, I think, the one we're thinking of. Um, well, it's former and Eltang. Yes. Okay. Which El- Eltang is another guy out of uh, Denmark that makes, or Copenhagen. Yeah, that one is, uh, and so what we've done for the collection to make it easier, too, is just also number these. So this is the, the Dr. Dan number 39 which is a former Nell Tang rusticated bent egg. Mm-hmm. And that was Pipe and Tobacco's Magazine Pipe of the Year. Do you, do you have any insight on that? I do not. Okay. So, and- so basically that was a magazine, um, like a, a pipe forward magazine. They were like the, the, the big pipe media of their day. But they closed shop, uh, I forget when, because the, the business model wasn't sustainable. And they would, ha- they would commission a pipe every year. Uh, to be made for them by ex pipe maker, right? And so this one that we have in the, in the collection is from 2004. It was the 2004 pipe of the year, and that was uh, commissioned to former an Altang. It's a rusticated bent egg from Denmark, and so the pipe maker's mark is shown with that Altang E. Uh, the year 2004 stamped in the silver collar, and it they were also numbered, right? So they did 250 pieces that year, and we have number 230. Nice. Um, and so that one so far, uh, because we, we've yet to like list everything because it's just a, a huge collection and we're trying to get all the information uh, before publishing them on their, our website. Uh, that one for me is like one of the rarest pieces that we in the collection so far. It has two very, very big names in the pipe making industry on it. And that's a uh, that would be a star piece for anyone that's a serious collector. Mm-hmm. And then let's go to the final one that we wanted to feature today. Um, do you know anything about that before I look at look it up? Oh, off the top of my head, no. I think it's Claudio Cav- Claudio yeah. Cavici, another yeah. Italian, okay. yeah, pipe maker, and they kind of have a similar grading system, yep. but instead four of a C's. K, it's the, the C. Yep. Yeah, they have four C's. This shape is a fun one. This is a blowfish. Is that what they? That, there's this actually is, a term for this it. This is a blowfish. Okay, um, you'll see hmm. this similar shape amongst many different pipe makers. And what's fun about it is you could show off the grain in this and finally as about to say we've talked about you know smooth pipes this is a pipe that was deemed to have enough grain in that block of briar to show off a smooth finish so on one side you'll have bird's eye which is like determination of upward growth of the grain on the bottom you have your straight grain or your flame mm-hmm. grain which is so that i guess the 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 plant, or what would you consider briar? The root. It's a root. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a burl actually. Okay. So a burl, when it comes to wood, is like the like a knot, not almost like a, a tumor or a cancer, like the the malformation growth. Okay. That's not just root. Okay. 
but it, that's why it has these this grain pattern because it's it, it's knotted it's gnarly it's grows all on top of itself so you'll have the different types like you know the straight grain the bird's eye and then on this other side you have a little bit kind of mixture of both and there's i think that looks like a bamboo or something type finish accent on the stem but Cavici, Claudio Cavici is another they make beautiful pipes out of Italy mm-hmm. I, I, there's no ifs ands or buts about it but this one's in great condition yeah I'm just reading some of the uh, the information we have on our website about this one uh, we try to put like a little biography or bio uh, talking points with, with each of these pipe makers um, this one says while still farming uh, Claudio oh so I guess he was a farmer he was uh, from the uh, a farmer from the outskirts of Bologna, Italy, hmm. and he gained international fame as the world's champion slow smoker, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. Oh. And he was frustrated with waiting over a year for commissioned pipe. He decided to make his own in 1974, and so he would make about 700 pipes a year. I don't know. Is, is he still in production, or do you know offhand? Off the top of my head, I don't know. Okay. But I like I've heard the name Claudio Cavici. Yeah often uh, well and, enough that i yeah I, go ahead like as soon as i whenever you whenever i come over to when we looked at the collection i did remember like oh cavici oh nice you know like i remember like this is one of the ones i was like oh that's a cool one yeah and he has a grading system starting from one c up to five c's yep with perla and diamante reserved for the most exceptional pieces so those are rare yeah you'll have a lot of like these independent makers will have their own systems like that. Uh, we mentioned L tank. He has a snail grade. Oh yes. I did see uh, that. Which yeah. those, if you ever get a chance to look them up or see them, they have some stunning wood grain that he does like this shiny smooth finish on. And he'll, a lot of those end up being snail, sh- snail shell shapes. Mm-hmm. That's the snail grade. Yeah. So what is it like one snail, two snails? Something like that. Yeah. I just I just know if it's a snail gray, like it's a beautiful piece and get ready to open your wallet. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Well, uh, like I mentioned, if anyone's interested in uh getting more information about these pipes from the Dr. Dan estate, you can check out uh, check out our website. Um, but we'll leave it there. Um, thanks for coming in, Jeremy. Before we sign off, we do have one segment that it's basically a rapid fire. Uh, round of questions. Would you want to participate? Sure, let's go for it. Okay, it's called the pu- final puff. Five questions. Number one: Tabasco, crystal, or other? Depends on the food, but typically I go for crystal. Okay. Number two: Favorite vacation destination? Uh, that's a tricky one. Honestly, I'm not. I kind of like staycations. Okay. Number three, the ideal person you would want to smoke a cigar or, in our case, a pipe tobacco with, alive or deceased? Oh, see, that's a – honestly, just because I know it would be very interesting and different, Freud. Okay. Number four, Desert Island – we usually ask Desert Island Cigar, but let's let's do Desert Island Cigar and Desert Island Pipe Tobacco. Desert Island Cigar. Probably have to be a Padron. Okay. Just they're solid and they smoke well. Yeah. Pipe tobacco. Now you're getting a little bit more interesting. I think. I know. Aromatic versus non-aromatic. Don't get me started on aromatic. Yeah, we didn't Um, even go into that. Um. You know what? If I could still get my hands on it, I'm gonna have to say McClellan 5100. Okay. And the final 
who would you want to see on a future podcast? You know, it would be interesting to see if you could reach out, get one of these pipe tobacco manufacturers on here, like a Jeremy Reeves or a, uh, mm-hmm. oh, what's the guy? And there was a few guys with uh, Scandinavian or, oh, guy that with Mike Barron. I'm drawing a blank, but he he's been doing a lot of stuff with Sutliff recently. Okay, uh, they're a pipe blender. Yes, or a pipe tobacco blender. Yes, uh, I'll have to I'll have to get the name for you after the show. Okay, but yeah, no, get like some some sort of pipe tobacco blender. Yeah, but yeah. like as I mentioned, Jeremy Reeves with he's, with DC, uh, Laudacy, Cornell and oh. Deal. Yeah, uh, they produce a lot of stuff. Um, some good, some uh, some bad, but they've had when they hit, they hit. They have some. They've had some excellent blends, like off the top of the head, Sun Bear recently. Oh, okay. Has been limited and delicious. Nice. So. Well, that will do it. I appreciate you coming on today, man. That was very informative. Wow. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll probably, uh, we'd love to have you back on in the future for more pipe tobacco related questions or topics. So oh, thanks as again. Always. All right, everyone. Well, appreciate you tuning in until the next cigar or pipe tobacco. Thanks. We'll see you later. Mm-hmm.